Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Sportacast. All right, Novi Williams, let's tell everybody at the start, little something different with the show this week, we're, we're going to have our first guest. So later on in the show, you and I will have a conversation with Dan Beckerman. He's the chief executive officer of AEG. Uh, if you don't know AEG, you know, they uh, operate Staples Center, O2, T-Mobile in Vegas, uh, ho- hockey team, the Kings, the Galaxy, Lakers, eSports. So if you're not all. familiar, yeah, they really do do it all in sports. So stick with us for that later on in the show. But let's start with DraftKings because I find this very interesting and it's all in the M&A world and everybody's getting gobbled up and who's a target and who's who's a voracious, you know, velociraptor. Thank you. You didn't see that coming. Um, (laughs) DraftKings hires a chief media officer. What do you make of that? If somebody said to you, wait, that wait, DraftKings, that's like sports betting and. And Daily Fantasy, why do they need a media office? I don't get it. Go ahead. Fill yeah, in the blank. yeah, speaking of another company that is starting to do it all, uh, DraftKings, as you said, hired its first chief media officer, Brian Angelette. He'd spent a lot of time, two decades at Verizon. Uh, and this is something we talk about on the show a lot, Scott. This is the, the gradual blending of sports betting and sports media. And it's happening with all the companies that we cover, both on the media side, all these partnerships between NBC and PointsBet, CBS and William Hill, Pen Gaming and Barstool, and it's happening on the on the operator side as well. DraftKings, we talked about this a few weeks ago, just bought VSIN, the Vegas Sports Information Network. Brent Musburger, his uh, his investment. They are an investor in Meadowlark, which news we also wrote, Scott, about uh, the the new media company started by John Skipper and Dan Lebetard. There is an increasing blending here between media and sports betting operator, and I would argue, and I'm curious if you agree with me. I think it's easier for DraftKings as the betting operator to be acquiring and hiring on the media side a bit easier to go that direction than it is on the opposite. If you're Fox to be branching out into the sports betting operator side of things. Well, something we've seen, and by the way, let me address this, uh, know what you know, I would never disagree with you in this area. <laughs> I mean, I'll disagree with you plenty on a lot of things. Great, I'm right. <laughs> but, you know, I was so glad that you, yeah, I am so happy that you decided to go, you know, uh, network by partners, you know, right, boom, you can run through it. I'd have been like, wait a minute, which is which, you know, I, okay, I'm glad you did it. And, and I will always agree with you on this. But yes, but we've also seen that there's, there are regulatory hurdles. Like these media companies, they can take, and correct me if I'm wrong, more than 5% of the gaming companies, because that would require licensing and regulation 
And, and that's sort of a microscope that they don't want right now. You know, if, if that changes, perhaps they'll acquire more in the future. But right now they want to stay under that threshold. But I always wonder, what's the end game, though? Is it that everybody's trying to get fat and, and just sort of fend off those acquirers, those other velociraptors out there? Or uh, is it the subscriber lists that you, you get a media company and you figure a lot of those people may sign up for your service? Because I, I don't know. You, correct me. You do this more than I do. You know, you, you would go halfway across the George Washington Bridge to place a bet, and, and I don't. But I would be platform agnostic. Like I would be brand agnostic. Like, if I wanted to bet the Jets versus the Dolphins, like if, if they have the same... Odds, all right, I don't know, maybe whichever one has better UX or I'm more familiar with. But if there's a half point difference, I'm going to put my money there. Like, that's the difference to me. I don't know what differentiates one from the other, frankly. Well, yeah, one, I don't think I don't think there's often as much differentiator price-wise as, as you might expect there to be. But two, I think that's exactly the conversation that we're having here, is that if the UX looks generally the same, which it does on almost every app available in U.S. legal markets right now. And the odds are general the same, generally the same, which they are in almost every app in U.S. legal markets right now. How do you differentiate yourself? And one of the ways to do that is with better content. So one of the things Brian Angelet's going to have to do at DraftKings, he's going to be in charge of doing the thing differently than everyone else. And that is DraftKings makes most of its gets most of its customer referrals from its media buys. How do you make that more enticing, whether that's advertising or whether that's, you know, a 30-minute show on your local RSN? How do you make the media part of your company enough so that you get the customer affinity that you might not get with UX or with pricing just because those things typically kind of come out in the wash in this, in, in, in this industry? Oh, simple. Just put your brand alongside Sportico's various offerings. Very simple. I can answer that one. <laughs> You're you welcome, go. Todd yeah, Parrish. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right. Now, I'm just going to set this story up. I want to move on, but I want to set this one up because I thought this was the coolest story when you told me about it. I was like, I never thought of that. And I'm like, it makes perfect sense, but I'm just going to set it up rather simplistically and then you can take it away. So if you're having esports competitions from Asia and the U.S., there could be latency issues like higher speed internet in one place and that affects the, the game. And I know this because my son keeps telling me again, that focus group of one, that he needs a gaming computer because it's a little faster. I tell him he's nuts. It's not happening. Right, you can play on your Xbox, dude. Leave me alone. Um, but there's a solution and the solution is Hawaii and it's underwater cable. Go. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I think a lot of people who are maybe casual esports fans or just know that competitive gaming is a thing would probably tell you one of the advantages in the pandemic of esports is that you don't need people sitting next to each other in an arena to play them. And while that's largely true, Scott, you're right. Eventually, you can hit distances that are too far away for even the best internet connections to really handle. And Overwatch League, which has teams in six different countries on three different continents, had that problem during the pandemic. The, the original plan was for teams in the U.S. when they had to play teams in Asia, we put them on a plane, we fly them to Asia, and they play each other. Obviously, with quarantine restrictions, with visa problems, that was not possible during the pandemic. It's still really not possible now. Uh, and, and Overwatch League had a problem. How do we get our U.S. teams to play our Asian teams when they need to? And the solution, as you said, Scott, they are partnering with the University of Hawaii, which has access to a fiber optic cable that runs underneath the ocean, from Hawaii to Japan. And by virtue of that partnership, 
Overwatch League will be able to send teams to Hawaii. Obviously, less of a uh, of, of a immigration visa problem. American teams going to going to another part of America, and from the University of Hawaii's campus, they will be able to tap into that underground cable and play teams in Asia at a latency that doesn't make the game unplayable. I love it. I, I absolutely <laughs> love the story because I love it from the problem side of it. And I love it from the solution side of it because I just, this one I file under, huh, who, who, who to thunk, right? And you're talking, you're talking about I, your I son. I not have thought of this problem. I'm talking about your son when, when he complains about these things. When someone in New Jersey logs on to a game like Fortnite, he's not playing against people that are in Seattle. For this exact reason, because that's 3,000 miles and even fiber optic cables at the speed of light, that, that's a distance that needs to be covered. So games automatically build this in so that when you're playing multiplayer, you're generally playing people that are kind of in your area to avoid the latency. Other thing I will say on this, Scott, is the latency we're talking about here, the internet connection from San Francisco to, let's say, Tokyo under normal circumstances, 140 milliseconds. That's the lag, which is a number that neither you nor I would would blink at if it was happening for us. But pro gamers, I think you could argue, argue and, and high-speed traders maybe, might be the two most sensitive people to latency within their internet connection. So we're talking about the difference between 130 milliseconds of lag and 80 milliseconds of lag, which they're getting in, in Hawaii, which again is, is such a small number, but in this specific industry is such a big number. I am going to email Michael Lewis and say, this is your next book. It's not just <laughs> high-speed traders on Wall Street and around the world like looking to build a cable closer to Wall Street, get that little advantage. It's also the esports folks. All right, let's close it up with this, uh, Mr. Novi Williams. Our friends, the Rables, Michael and Paul, they announced that the uh, Premier Lacrosse League coming back to a tour model. And we're going to talk to Dan Beckerman in a little bit. And you know, sports is coming back. We start to see sunshine on the horizon. This is another indication of sunshine that no longer the bubble model, that they're going to take this thing on the road as they were intended to. Exactly, Scott. During 2020, they did the bubble thing outside Salt Lake City. Now 2021, returning to the tour-based model. I think it's 11 cities. Don't forget, this is the first, first season of the post-PLL-MLL merger. A lot of those cities that were chosen were chosen specifically because there were MLL teams there. So kind of tapping into the older, uh, older fan base as well. But I think I take from this the same thing that you take away from when, when big entities, when PLL is deciding, you know, we're ready to do a traveling tour-based model in 11 different cities over the course of the summer, I think that gives you a good indication of where a lot of the sports world is when they think about fans. And, and granted, not all those venues won't be 100% uh, sold, but it gives you a good indication of how comfortable most of these sports leagues now are about having fans in the stands when they hold events this summer. No better time than to bring in guest number one on the Sportacast than right now coming off that lead-in because this is a guy who certainly knows uh, about the troubles of no fans and now sort of the elation of fans coming back. Dan Beckerman, the Chief Executive Officer of AEG. Dan, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. I know this is an audio medium, but we can see you. And I love that you're wearing the LA Kings shirt, the LA Galaxy hat, You've got Wheaties box. I'm sure every team. Uh, I'm not sure that a lot of people really understand the breadth and scope of AEG. Do you find that to be true? Do, do people come up to you do, when they find out what you do and they're like, wait a minute, you, this company does what? Is it still a surprise for people? 
Yeah, we get that a lot. I mean, AEG is not a consumer brand. We have a ton of consumer brands within AEG, um, but we are more of a B2B brand. So people are always coming up to me and saying, you know, I say I work for AEG, they don't know what it is. And you say, oh, well, it's, it's the LA Kings and it's the Galaxy and it's Staples Center and it's Coachella and it's the O2 in London. And invariably they all say, oh God, I had no idea that was you guys. So, uh, well, I know that's, that's okay. what they say first, but uh, I know what they say second, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I think I do too. Can you get me tickets? Can you to, get uh, me tickets? Yeah. <laughs> oh, in that case, uh, you know, I love so-and-so. Can you help me out? Yeah, absolutely. A question I'm sure you didn't get that much for the past year, but starting to see things changing now, Dan, as, as, as teams get ready, we're recording this on Wednesday. Podcast drops on Thursday. I believe the Lakers are letting fans back for the first time Thursday night. Uh, walk yes. us through kind of what that process has been like. I'm especially curious. Th there's changes you guys are making in Staples Center about bag policies, about food policies, what you need to do vaccine or test-wise to get in. How important has it been to communicate those changes to fans ahead of time so that come Thursday night, they're not standing there confused about what the rules are outside the, outside the arena? Yeah, it's been uh, an incredible uh, year that I'll never forget, that's for sure. It's been a real journey. Uh, we always, throughout the year, have talked about light at the end of the tunnel. Well, now I'm actually feeling like we're at the end of the tunnel. You mentioned it. We have the Lakers-Celtics tomorrow night at Staples Center. Uh, we will be welcoming fans back finally. And it can't be uh, a minute too soon from my perspective. It is just not the same with fanless games. I hate to say it. I know you can tell on TV, you can tell in the arena. It absolutely, I'm, I'm dying to get fans back in our venues. So you're right. We have made uh, a lot of changes. We've been working with the county. We've been working with the state. We've been setting up the protocols and the procedures so that we can allow our fans back safely. We know our fans desperately want to come back. We've heard that from them time and time again. They've held on to their tickets. Our music fans, our sports fans, they've all held on to their tickets. We have over 80% of them uh, who held their tickets, and they are raring to go. Uh, they want to feel safe. They want to feel secure. They want to be confident, uh, and we need to build that. That's our job is to create that sense of trust and confidence with them. So you'll see it in the protocols. We'll be at partial capacity tomorrow night. We're going to walk before we run. Uh, we hope to see those capacities gradually increasing in the coming months. And, you know, we're hopeful that by the time we get to the end of the summer, we're going to be uh, at full speed, allowing uh, full capacity back into our venues. But we've had to make some modifications to the venue, sanitization, air purification, touchless payments, digital ticketing, paperless ticketing. Uh, so we've, we're definitely changing the experience and every experience in all of our lives are different now whenever we go anywhere. Uh, but hopefully that's coming to an end real soon. Yeah, this is all forced, probably unforeseen and unheard of collaboration, innovation. Uh, what sorts of things have been accelerated? Because a lot of this stuff, ingress, egress, cashless, ticketless, a lot of that was in the planning in a lot of these venues, but now it's it's a reality. How much of it has been accelerated? What have you gotten to that you didn't expect to get to this quickly? And looking further out, what has legs? What has staying power? Well, I think you look at our ticketing system and you think about digital paperless ticketing. Uh, you know, that's been coming for a long time. We've had it for a while. It hasn't been fully adopted. It hasn't been fully integrated. I think this has accelerated that. We think about things like mobile ordering for food and beverage. It's been available selectively. Now, I think it's going to be a lot more widespread. We think about enhancing the connectivity in our venues and in our entertainment districts with 
our the investment in the infrastructure and our Wi-Fi and our 5G, that's been accelerated. We think about cashless payments, converting our ATMs to reverse ATMs, and allowing people to pay by mobile and then pick up at the concession stand or the merchandise stand. I think a lot of that has been accelerated. Um, and then also just safety. You know, we, we've sort of adopted a lot of these clean air initiatives in our in our venues with uh, at Staples Center in particular. I think we were probably ahead of the curve on on that one. We put that in place a couple of years ago. Uh, but I think a lot of venues are looking to make that sort of table stakes now in terms of the experience in the venue and the air filtration and the air purification. But I think a lot of those things, I think most of those things have staying power. Do you see a separation between kind of the way some venues are handling things and, and others? You guys announced Kane Brown, country singer, a, a tour, I believe about a week ago. Almost yeah. every stop he's making seems to be an NBA venue. I imagine that's not a coincidence. Is there an opportunity here for NBA venues and NHL venues, which maybe have more infrastructure to put in these safety precautions to maybe scoop up a larger market share of concerts in, in the next year? Well, I think the urgency was definitely there. The NBA has their own standards, as does the NHL, as it relates to venue safety and security and sanitization. So I think those venues were on the forefront because we're having to host fanless events. So we've been having to make those investments and make those modifications over the last many, many months since the season started, whereas maybe some other other smaller venues maybe haven't had to, to take that step. So I think we are ahead of the game there. And you mentioned Kane Brown. We did announced that last week, the tours in the fall, it went on sale, actually did extremely well, uh, kind of further another data point for us about how people are really excited to get back to live events and live music. Uh, so we feel good about that. But I feel like a lot of the Major League Baseball, MLS, NBA, NHL have really been on the forefront um, because we've had to comply with all of those regulations from the leagues and then from the health uh, officials as well. We're chatting with Dan Beckerman, the CEO of AEG, Anschutz Entertainment Group. Uh, arenas uh, involve Staples Center, O2, T-Mobile in Vegas, uh, venues in France, Germany, China, if you didn't know. You mentioned data, though, Dan. And I'm curious, as part of staying in touch with your fans and your customers, what did you learn from them? What kind of data dive are you doing? What are you asking? What do you want to know? And what are the points that stand out? I think that's another lesson learned from the pandemic, frankly, is the amount of engagement and communication that we've had to have since we haven't been able to interact in person with them at games. And our reps don't see our season ticket members at the games and have those touch points with them. So we've really leaned on surveys and engagement with them through our social and digital platforms in order to keep our fans engaged, because while they're watching on TV, there's no substitute for being at the game in person. So I think we've we've learned a lot from them in our surveys about what they want to see, when they're comfortable coming back, what they want to see in the venues in order for them to have that trust and that confidence and that they feel like they can come back. Do they want to see distancing? Do they what do they feel about mask wearing? Do they feel about sitting in a vaccinated section or subjecting themselves to being tested before? coming into the building. So we've, we've had to keep that contact in order to really meet their needs to welcome them back when they're ready. Yeah, we, we have seen a, a couple of data points too. We, we did a Harris poll um, survey of a bunch of fans as well. The number one thing that we saw was that fans wanted proof of vaccination. Just curious what your fans told you. 
There is a group of our fans who will certainly feel more comfortable once vaccinations are prevalent and that they've we've hit a substantial percentage in uh, in the city and the county of vaccinations, that there definitely is a subset of our fans that will feel most comfortable uh, when they're vaccinated and when people around them are vaccinated. I was talking to someone in an in, in event operation a couple months ago, and one of the things he said was, there's kind of two things they're trying to solve. One is keeping fans safe, which is paramount, most important. Number two is making fans feel safe. And while in a lot of ways, those two things are the same thing, in other ways, they're not always the same thing. How do you guys think about maybe the the balance there between doing the things that will make fans safer and also maybe doing the things that maybe scientifically aren't as important, but also just make fans feel safer as well? It's a great question. Um, on, on the first point, you know, we're following the, the data and the science and we're listening to our public health officials about what we need to do and what are the most effective ways to create a safe environment. And it is about air purification. And, you know, there's very different standards between indoor and outdoor. So when we look at the LA Galaxy at our outdoor stadium at Dignity Health Sports Park, it's different than when we look at, you know, the Kings at Staples Center. But you're right, there are, there is a perception piece and then there's a science piece. So we're following the science with our public health officials, with distancing, with vaccinations, with testing where needed, with how and where we consume food and beverage, uh, the things that are proven to prevent the spread. There are other things that there isn't as much science behind, frankly, as it relates to sanitizing surfaces, but we've done those things too. And we want to do all of them because people need to be safe and feel safe. And if having touchless water faucets and cashless payments are a way to make people feel safe, those are the right things to do in any event. But we've accelerated those as well because we do want to have that that trust and confidence. Dan, can we peek behind the curtain a little bit into the conversations you're having with your partners, your sponsors, your business partners? Obviously, no games, uh, no fans. You couldn't deliver everything that they would have expected from, from a full deal. What are those conversations like? These are long-term relationships, so I don't think anybody's pounding the desk and saying, well, I want my money back or we're done with you. But just give us a little peek behind the curtain as to how those conversations are going, what they're looking for, and how you're able and willing to accommodate them. Sure. Well, we have, we're fortunate that we have so many partners that have been with us and our long-standing partners, long, long, 20-plus year relationships with our partners uh, and they are anxious to come back just as we are. Um, I think what we've seen is there's new inventory that's available, and we've had to be creative when we think about creating new digital engagement through our social platforms and the sponsorship opportunities tied to that. Uh, we do have games that are being broadcast, and the leagues, I think, have done a really good job at being creative on creating new inventory for our partners. So you look at additional signage in basketball on the court and in the stands and on tarps. Same thing with hockey in ice. You now see virtual signage at the blue line in ice. That is a new piece of inventory that we've never had before. We have tarps uh, where we have signage opportunities. And again, that digital engagement with our fans and creating new unique content that can be sponsored content. So I think we've had really fantastic uh, conversations with our partners about way to continue their relationship, engage with our fans in a new way, uh, and keep that that partnership going for when we do come back and I'll welcome fans in this week, um, that, that they feel good about that. And they're, and they're as anxious as we are to get back uh, and have fans in the building. 
how many of those things go away? The, the tarps on the seats feel like a maybe an obvious one, but we've seen the NHL add you know decals to their helmets. MLS sold an extra jersey patch. Do you think those things that don't interfere with the fan experience directly are just here to stay because it's a revenue opportunity and and people just don't like to give those things up even if they may they may not be as as needed as they were? Yeah, I I think a lot of them will. I mean, the obvious ones that can remain, I think, hopefully will remain, and I think that's one of the lessons learned. Uh, there and there are a lot of lessons that that we learned throughout the pandemic. Uh, you referred to the to the sticker on the helmet. We have Cal Hope, which again, a new partner, a new category, and a new piece of inventory for the Kings. And you mentioned the patch that we have on uh, on the sleeve, the the new patch for for the Galaxy, and we have uh, a new partner there as well. So uh, I think a lot of those things will last, and hopefully there will be more. Also, I, I referenced the virtual signage. Uh, on our Kings broadcast at the at the blue line. I'd like to see that uh, remain. There's some that will go away. We have, you know, some stickers on the glass, uh, which obviously will go away when we gladly have fans sitting uh, in ice seats again. Uh, but I think a lot of them will remain. And there could be more coming too. Don't tease us like that. What do we got? What, what kind no, of stuff I may mean, be coming? I think every, every league is thinking creatively. They understand the sort of the financial ramifications uh, that the pandemic has had on sports. And listen, that... We're in the live entertainment business. We're in the mass gathering business. It's had an impact on our venues, our, our music division, and our sports teams. Uh, so I think people have had to think dynamically and creatively uh, about what are some new um, inventory opportunities. So I'm, I'm hoping, in addition to what we've seen, we'll, we'll see a few more in the coming years. Yeah, you're a closely held company, so there'll be no public disclosure. Can you give us a ballpark as to what this has cost AEG? Uh, you're right. We don't uh, <laughs> disclose uh, financial information, but there are a lot of uh, public companies that, that are in our space uh, that have disclosed it. So by, by no means is AEG immune uh, to, to the impact of it. So you, you've seen the impact on the live concert business and the impact on the revenue there. There are some publicly held sports teams. You've seen the, the impact uh, on the revenue there. Uh, so I'll just say we're, we're no different. And, and, and the, the hit was significant. I have said that in 10, 15 years, the NBA bubble, sort of the operations of all these teams and entities like yours will be a Harvard business case study. What If it is, and we break it down into different parts, what class would you like to teach? Well, I feel like you could, you could get a whole degree on what's happened in, in the last year. Um, you know, there's a crisis management piece of this is what, what I feel like the drinking from the fire hose was in the first couple of months. We then pivoted to uh, government relations, strategy, financial planning, uh, managing uh, your balance sheet, communications with our with our team internally and externally with our staff. I think that alone uh, could could be a course keeping our team engaged. Uh, but I, I think there's there's probably a whole uh, master's degree that could be taught around the pandemic. No, I mean, other than that, what did you have to do? <laughs> it was quiet. Other than that, there wasn't much. <laughs> I'm glad you got the joke. The, 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 that was the appropriate pause. And so I'm like, he's like, is he serious? <laughs> uh, I know you're funny. I've listened to your show. I know you got a good sense of humor. Oh, good. We have a, we have a listener. Good. I love it. Tell all your friends. Dan Beckerman, Absolutely. CEO of AEG. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time, Dan. We do appreciate it. And we are happy that, uh, like you, because, you know, we, we do the business of sport. So there's a lot to cover when there's no games. Surely this has been a great time for us to cover how businesses are handling the pandemic. But uh, at, at its core, we all got into this because we, we like to watch 
talented people do what they do. So uh, like you, we're, we're really happy to see uh, folks like LeBron James in person again um, and, and let them generate revenue that way. We'll write about that too. Perfect. I appreciate you having me and I'm looking forward to uh, having everyone back in the building tomorrow night. Dan, thank you so much. That'll do it for the Sportacast. The other guy is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Uh, the show is at Sportacast. I have to say that. So Cora Veltman, our social media guru, does not yell at me repeatedly. And remember, Sportacast is the hub, the center, the focal point of what will soon be the Sportico Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.